0: This is another episode of Visitings Radio Show, season 3. I'm your host Alan Akagawa. This show focuses on artists who are creating work outside the museum and galleries such as public engagement or community art, etc. This episode is with artist Carla Diaz, who is also a founding member of Slanguage. Uh, we focused on Carla's solo community work regarding the cooking and the incarceration culture which she titles Prison Gourmet.
1: So hello, my name is Carla Diaz. I'm an artist and a teacher, educator, and um, I'm gonna be talking about the Prison Gourmet Project today with you, Alan. Yay. (laughs) Yay. Um, the project started in 2009, essentially, mm-hmm. when my brother went to prison. And, you know, it was really a tough time for me at that point because I was trying to figure out what that was like and just interacting with him and communicating with him. And um, so sometimes it's hard in terms of my or well, at least for me as an artist, to how do you approach work that is Um, personal that is, you know, has a lot of uh, issues, right? That are more personal and that impact you emotionally and so forth. And sometimes I feel like you need a distance sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, at the very beginning, especially because you're so emotionally enthralling it that you can't really think of it creatively, you know, in that sense, because you're reacting more emotionally, right?
0: Right.
1: Um So I had been pushing that away in terms of being able to even interact with my brother and um, so then um, all of a sudden we started communicating and writing back and forth and uh, he wrote me a letter where he um, sent me a recipe that he had made, you know, out of commissary food items, which are items that the inmates the inmates get to choose out of the commissary, you know, when the, the they put these together or they, Um, family can send them packages where they get to choose, you know, from their commissary food items. And then in 2010, um, the collective Fallen Fruit uh, had an exhibition at LACMA that it was all performance-based, and this was called Let Them Eat LACMA. And, uh, you know, The collective, there have been really good friends of ours, and um, they asked us to see if we came up with some kind of performance that would go, um, you know, with the stuff that they were doing at LACMA, right? And so I proposed this project, and um, that was the beginning, when I did it in 2010. I did, like, I think it was like a two- to three-hour performance where I recreated one of the recipes that my brother gave me, Mm. and I put it there at LACMA. We, we set up the table where you know we brought in the food items that were in the recipe that my brother had sent me and then we just share it with um, the people that were coming in right the 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 audiences you know so we made samples of that and i would talk to them about you know this recipe and how it was put together um, and the materials that um, were used the materials i mean in terms of not just the ingredients but also like the kitchen tools go back to your question of, you know, then the the performance of um, that you saw in the library, right, that it was um, that came later when uh, Josh Kuhn asked me to, to recreate an installation and uh, there at the library, the public library. I think there was also like three, four artists, three or four artists that were included in the exhibition. And what he was doing was um, he was looking at menus from the permanent collection and the library. And uh, essentially he wanted, you know, to select a few artists and a few artists project that would respond to certain um, food in L.A. or projects that were done about food and menus in L.A. And so I re- made a menu, you know, based on the um, the recipes that I had gathered, right? And I did an installation and just, well, you saw the one in the library that, um, that you got to experience. And that was more, um, had to be more in as an installation project, which really pushed me to Um, extend the idea of the prison gourmet just not just from being a, you know, a performance piece, but also on what that could look like to be an installation project, right? In addition to the Mm. performance, there was a video uh, recorded of me recreating some of the recipes. And then there was some letters, of course, from the inmates that had been sent to me, um, you know, and then just an installation of a table uh, that I imagined to be where, you know, I would um, be giving out the recipes, right? So that was what that kind of... um, that project was about and it was interesting because it did give a lot of um also as being the library it i it really meant a lot to have be part of that project because it was like you know focusing on a piece of la and the food culture of la also being such a part of you know the the prisoners and and prison food, you know, like, wow, like that's amazing to highlight that as part of LA culture, you know, Mm. this idea of creativity and the prisons, how much they, the inmates and the prison culture has aided to that. Right. And so, um, so for instance, um, I had been talking to some prisoners who had got out of prison, you know, who had minor crimes and stuff. And um, when they get out, you know, one of the things that they've, learn is like how to cook for themselves in prison. And so they would actually try to recreate some of that food out here, you know, oh.
0: and
1: eat, you know, so um, their palate and their taste palates um, and their idea of, you know, recipes and, and feeding themselves and stuff. They like, they were influenced by their life and how they grew up, you know, cause some of them went in there, like when they were children or whatever. So, um, that was influenced in in their food culture and their taste palettes, you know? And that's really something really interesting to think about, I think. Um, like this idea of how is taste derived? Right now we're dealing with really hard times of scarcity, right? And how to me, in these uh, times of scarcity, how does creativity creativity flourish, right? right? How does necessity lead us to create things for ourselves and to survive, to, um, to remember things, to, um, to just uh, keep ourselves in our emotions, you know, um, uh, intact or, or, you know, it's just a lot of questions about that. Right. To now I'm thinking about how amazing that has been. I mean, I've learned a lot through this project, being able to say, you know, um, like for me, these tough times of like the virus and, and the coronavirus. Are not scary in a sense, because I've dealt with this kind of issue of scarcity in my life, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think people who are used to that, as I think a lot of us artists even are in that position where we don't have like, let's say we don't have the materials or we don't have whatever things we make things out of what we have, you know, we can create, there's a potential in that scarcity to be creative, you know, to, if you don't have, you know, this, then what do you do? How, what can you create to do that? But, um, but a lot of them don't have, let's say, you know, the ovens or the exact, uh, kitchen tools or whatever it is. And they make ends meet, you know, through trash bags with, um, you know, um, made up kind of devices that they can, you know, um, uh, make the food, uh, taste a certain way. Like they'll put it in and they'll put water and ferment it, you know, for a certain period of time. So these kinds of things are really um like important especially for us to look at and continue to look at, right? Like how can we as a society, this is kind of something that is being done and we need to kind of acknowledge it. And for me, again, at that time it was a personal kind of stance mm-hmm. where I felt like, you know, in my family especially, it was always been Taboo, right? Like at certain points, you don't. When you said, "Oh, I had somebody in prison," or "I know somebody, my family's in prison," it was like looked up really negatively, right? Like, "Oh, wow, you're like, my God, you're what happened? What did they do?" And you're bad, right? But at a certain point, like you know, we started to look at in terms of culture and how many people are in prison that are part of our family and our communities. That it was almost like I knew at least one person, friends or friends of whatever, that they were in prison or they knew somebody in prison. And you stop to think about, well, why is that acceptable? Why is that common? And why is that, why are so many of our families and our loved ones going to prison? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Why is that, right? And why is that? And so I had to really um, begin to think about it. And the only way that I could kind of sort of Um, you know, get some, I guess in some way answers, I don't know if I will have a kind of one particular answer, but just to begin to gather some of that is to really, um, you know, um, begin to interact with some of the people that were in prison, begin to really understand where they were coming from, you know, and I think food is such a way anyway to kind of thread things together you know food brings us together all of us different cultures different people from different places we all need it we all need to eat and it's such a it was an issue that I didn't have to be like okay you know let's talk about what you did right like it just really distanced people from the idea of like this crime right I didn't want it to be like about the criminality about why but what is it that it is um working? What is the creativity process about? And how can that keep us together, right? How does that flourish uh, and gives us um, some kind of answers or unity or makes us think critically, right? And I think focusing on that creativity, whether it's the creativity on food, creativity on language, creativity on, you know, anything is what makes us uh, what keeps us together, what makes us human, what really impacts our world, right? and, and moves us towards the social action. You know what I mean? I think that there's such a need for that.
0: Mm-hmm. The, the menu you f- uh, the rest, sorry, the recipe that you first got mm-hmm. from your brother, what was it?
1: Um, so the that one was like orange chicken. It was an orange chicken recipe. Ooh. Yeah. And it was really interesting because the sauce on the on the on the chicken was not like, you know, like how I think where you were make the orange chicken. It was made out of like strawberry jelly and with hot sauce. And then there was um like chicharrones which i don't know if you know what that means they're like the pork rinds the Mm -hmm. chicharrones they're like the mexican pork rinds and they're like sell them and it's a very like um like a food staple you know in a lot of like mexican communities and they sell them i guess they sell them in baggies you know i don't know how they sell them necessarily in the commissary food items but you can get them and so um so that was the chicharrones was like the the kind of chunkiness of the chicken or pork, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um and they had to be a jelly that was also thick, so it wasn't it had the chunkiness of it too of the strawberry so it was like really interesting for me to find out. And you would mix it in also with hot sauce and uh, that Kool Aid mix. It's like a pink. Uh, Kool-Aid sugary syrup uh, mix, and that made the sauce, right? And I was, like, so, like, amazed about it. I was like, how did you think of putting this stuff And And I think part of it is also they come up with it, but I also think that prisoners, you know, really, like, share recipes, you know, and influence their own, like, their cellmates cooking, you know, and they, they give each other kind of... Um, Uh, like they share each other's recipes and say, well, you should put this, or you should put that. I think Mm. that's, so I think it was part of it. Like he came up with it with different things that also like his friends, like told him about, you know, I see. And so, um, so it was really interesting. And then uh, there was the noodles, right? Like the staple, which is like the cup of noodles. Everybody cooks a cup of noodles as a kind of staple and a lot of the dishes. And so that was the noodles mixed in with the sauce. And, um, I just found it really amazing because another, also another prisoner, not him, my brother, but another prisoner had made a different version of that. And they add stuff like they add meat or they add different, um, sauces or other ingredients to make different variations of it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but, and so when I asked this prisoner, um, that, like why do you make this you know like it tastes okay but some of the recipes i would taste them and i'd be like oh my god like that's awful right like the taste of it is so sugary so sweet and so salty some of them that i'd be like oh my god i don't and and so i myself i asked them you know what why do you make this recipe and he was like I said, it doesn't taste so good to me. And he's like, well, it's not really about taste, right? For me, if it tastes good, it's just that I make it because it reminds me of the time I used to make it out with my daughter when she was out, you know, when I was out there, which means here, when he was out of of prison, He every time he made the recipe, he would think of his daughter. Mm. And I was like, wow, that's amazing, right? So for him, every time he recreated, it was like, kind of recreating that shared experience with his daughter out here. And, um, and I think that's a good way for me to, I was thinking about how that's so important, right? To really, that it was tied to memory, that this idea of food and taste also was tied to memory and mm. how we survive and part of why we enjoy food and why we also, you know, consume food is not just because we need it to feed ourselves, but to feed our souls, to feed our memories, right? To, and that that kind of keeps us alive as well, right? I mean, and that, and then I felt kind of bad because I was like, well, who am I to judge what's good and bad, right? Like, you know, to me, and I started to think of my own question, my own taste, like, who am I to judge, right? And, um, you know, I can kind of say and have a decision of like, okay, this is good food, this is bad food, because I've had the freedom to taste different foods, right? Like if I say, you asked me for a recommendation, you said you say, you know, is that a good Mexican restaurant or is that a bad Mexican restaurant? Is that, oh, that was good food or bad food, right? Then I can kind of say, well, I've tasted different kind of Mexican food or I've tasted kind of different Japanese would just say, "Oh, that's really good" or "That's really bad," right? In that level, you know mm-hmm. what I mean. But I don't know if a lot of the prisoners themselves, like especially if they've, you know, they went to prison when they were in juvenile, right, or they've lived in prison all their lives, how are they able to distinguish, right? How are they able to say? this is good food or this is bad food, right? Like, I mean, their level. And also, so I felt a little bit like I was judging a little bit. So I was like, okay, I am not going to judge that. Right. And I had to kind of step back and say, how do I allow, um, that to be itself? How do I allow to, um, not be judgmental about what is good or what is bad, but just how it can exist. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, And I think sometimes that's really hard for us to do, especially because we're always we always have preferences of things. Right. We're always judging of like, oh, yeah, this is really good food. Oh, that's really bad. Right. And especially those of us that love food. Right. Like we're always like, oh, my God, that was so good. Right. Right. (laughs) You had experiences like that. Right. And so I had to question my own taste and how. I came to judge different food, you know, especially food that was from other cultures or other places, you know, that I'm like, I wouldn't eat it or I wouldn't, I have to step back and be like, well, that's, that's weird. I may not necessarily eat that, but does it mean it's bad? Or does it mean it's, you know, it shouldn't be um, eaten by other people. Right. You know? And so that's what is really, um, I learned that, that a lot, you know, mm-hmm. going through the process. And then when I went to New Orleans, I got an um, an award from um, from uh, to to do, to go to New Orleans to New Orleans, and um, and to do work there, um, part of the Newcomb Art Museum. Um, that is there in New Orleans and, um, and it was really great because I got to work with women. I originally wanted to work with women who were in prison there, um, Muslim. Well, first I wanted to work with women cause I hadn't really worked with women here in California. It was mainly men, right. And the recipes. Mm-hmm. So I got the award to go and, and do that. And, um, and so the women that I wanted to work with, the prison that I was starting to work with there in New Orleans, there was a big, I don't know if you remember, there was like a big uh, flooding and hurricane that happened at the time. And so the prisons were all flooded. And the- What year was that? I think it was, was it 2011 or 2012? I'm trying to remember. Yeah. And there was a big uh, flooding of the prisons there in New Orleans. And so what happened is that all the women that we were kind of in touch with and working with, they went to different prisons, oh. and
0: staffed,
1: you know, right. and all our work that we were starting to kind of pinpoint and work with, um, you know, they, it was just like, it's not going to happen. And it's always hard in those particular places when you don't have like a, a very secure kind of person to be in communication with and you know, at the prison and Mm. to kind of keep working on the project in that way. Because as you know, when you work with communities, you know, you have to have somebody there that can work with you and facilitate. Otherwise, it's like you're just kind of doing the stuff by yourself, you know? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So... That kind of work was really amazing, just because I first I'd never been to New Orleans, and so the experience of me going there was really amazing. But um, but just also working with the women there. So what we ended up doing is we started to work with a group of women that were uh, Black Muslim, and these women, one of them had opened, had been in prison for over 16 years, and had gotten out, um. and she. At a thrift shop called the heart sister, uh, foundation. And so, um, she, she started this thrift shop and she was, uh, everything, the proceeds that were selling and stuff, which you would sell, she wanted to help the, especially the women transition who were coming out of prison. Right. So she wow. would give them there at the, at the thrift shop and um, help them like sell stuff. And then she had like two bedrooms there for, you know, people who were also transitioning from out of prison. So they would stay there. And um, her name is Sister Miriam. And um, so I, so the curator um, Monica Montague from the Newcombe Art Museum asked me and she said, well, you know, we don't, we can work with the women who are, uh, necessarily in prison but would you mind working with the women who are out of prison right and so I said no that that would be fine you know that would be great since we had to come across these other you know issues that I told you mm-hmm. so um, uh, I went and it was I went to the community there where the thrift shop was and I had a conversation with Sister Miriam and it was just a great connection with her like I can't explain that to anybody, but we talked not just about our lives, but just all the stuff that we had been through. And, you know, she told me about her experience and being in prison and what that was like. And then we said, well, let's do a a cook-off, you know, where the women who you know, cause she's very much in contact with women who had just gotten out of Mm -hmm. prison. She said, Let's do a cook up and then a cook off and we can recreate some of the recipes, you know? Uh, and I said awesome. That's great. So that's what we ended up doing. And there was about I think six women that uh, got to recreate their recipes there live, you know, in the in the center in the thrift shop where she um, that she has there. Like she had a a room there. We can, we recreated the recipes and the museum bought the food and we recreate, they recreated it and told us about it. And so I found a lot of, I mean, I learned a lot from them because Mm -hmm. some of these women, again, were in low level kind of crime uh, prisons. And so they had access to other tools that, you know, my experience with some of the inmates here in California, they didn't have, right? So, the women that uh, in in New Orleans had access to ironing boards and um, um, irons, uh-huh. and so they used the irons to cook the food. Ooh. So like like a cheese was making like a cheese um, uh, sandwich. What did mm-hmm. they call?
0: Grilled cheese.
1: Grilled cheese. Yeah, the grilled cheese. And to cook it, they would like press it with the iron once it was hot.
0: Awesome. <laughs> but
1: what? Like this is crazy, right? But also like some of the recipes, you could tell that they like had children, right? Like a lot of them had children and so they were used to feeding like, you know, their kids and their mm-hmm. family. You know, where some of the men, you know, that I had encountered here in California. You know, before probably like some of them going to prison, they had never made food out here for their for their wives or their family. They were not in that position. It was amazing because um, they had nicknames for each other, and so one of them was like the 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 Spice Queen, and I was like, well, what <laughs> Spice Queen, right? And they would say it because you know we would steal she was she was uh she was the one who would steal the spices from the cafeteria to put in their recipes you know <laughs> I was like oh my god and so but they would really get in trouble I mean for that if they would get caught mm-hmm. like they could get in trouble like they could get in the black hole and like you know but get punished but they would risk that you know to get that spices, for the food, you know? And I thought that was such an amazing thing. I mean, who does that, right? Like to be able to do that, that's so brave of them, right? Right. To do that. Um, And so um, I found it really interesting working with them. Also that a lot of the, the, like I said, that that particular community of African-American women were Muslim. And so that also influenced their food because there's certain food that they can't eat, you know? Maryam gave me that tour of her thrift shop it was really great because I mean it was a um, it was to me right from an outsider again from that outsider perspective it was like at first it looked like a mess right it was like all like different places like the kitchen stuff was next to like the shoes and like you know I'm so I'm, I'm I, I love shopping and going into things and areas of like how things are displayed and stuff like that Mm -hmm. but to me it was like it didn't coordinate right it didn't make sense why were the shoes with this with the furniture next to the furniture and like it just didn't make sense right in my (laughs) mind my brain like you know when you have that system of shopping and going and visual kind of display you're like okay the women's clothing on this side right like that kind of Section and separating but to hear her talk it was amazing because she started to tell me you know how part of her strategy to kind of desynthes- desynthesize and the women and the the men who were coming into transition from out of prison is that to be able to put things uh out of order because in prison it's like they're systematically they everything is very much trained things are in a certain box right things that are happen at a certain time Mm. right there you're everything is kind of very formatted very um oppressed in a way right like things go here you go over there right and so for her her strategy was to kind of in her mind it was like it's almost like like not getting them used to that idea, like not to be so institutionalized in a way, right? Mm. Like, And so her way was to kind of have it do it that way where they are finding things their own way. They are organizing things their own way. They're approaching things in a different way than like all the shoes go here and to like, uh, desensitize their mind in a way, right. To, to get them used to that, like, again, to operate differently than in prison. So that was her kind of strategy. Like, you know, um, and I thought it was so beautiful because what other way, right? Like, that's amazing that she thought about that, like that, you know, for, so for me, I was thinking, wait, am I institutionalized in a way? Am I art institutionalized? And I was like, Yeah, yeah, right. Like I'm approaching this. Like it has to be a certain way. It has to be clean. It has to be arranged a certain way. Right. And there I was again questioning myself, like, yeah, why do I think about that? Why can't I just approach things at this other level where I'm um, by nature, yeah, things are in this way, arranged in this way for a different for a different reason. And so it was really interesting for me to again, you know, tap into that experience, right? Like and who would have thought that a food project, you know, that would lead me to New Orleans, out of all things, would make me question these things, right? Like mm. how to approach Um, things visually, you know, at its face value, rather than how I think it should be approached, how it should be organized, how it should be arranged, how it should be, um, how objects should look like and how uh, we should put them together in a white box and a white cube, right?
0: That concludes another episode of Visiting's Radio Show. Thanks very much to Carla for her time and dedication and insight. Uh, Past episodes are available on SoundCloud and iTunes. This is Alan Akagao from my living room in Koreatown saying thank you for listening to Visiting's Radio Show.